You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome, everybody, to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people and introverts who are trying to find that sweet spot of a balance between stretching themselves enough to be to live big and be leaders in their community, but doing that in a way that honors their preferences and honors the way their system thrives best and keeps them sane and healthy in the process. <clears throat> I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and today I want to talk about failure. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> I was inspired by, uh, to discuss this topic. There were a few things. I think I've, I'm always very curious about failure, uh, particularly because those who tend to be really successful, and I'm talking legitimate outliers, often appear, I mean, at face value, they look like people who just always do it right. But then when you get them behind closed doors, it often turns out to be the case that they've failed mm, innumerable times. And you might even say they've become kind of masterful at failure. So I'm going to touch on a few points in this area, but I'm sort of, I'm intrigued by it because especially as someone who's a a new entrepreneur, I'm someone who I'm getting, just getting comfortable putting myself out there and I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I'm the type of person who really wants everything to, you know, all of the T's to be crossed and the I's to be dotted before I launch. And it turns out that's not necessarily always useful when you're trying to go out there and be more entrepreneurial because you have to be a forever, you have to be adaptable. You have to be able to shift with the tides and be able to change with the preferences of those you're trying to serve. And that's going to mean trying something, getting feedback, taking that feedback, going in and making it better and then presenting it, getting more feedback. It's dare I call it a feedback loop. So it seems to be not just helpful to learn how to fail, but imperative to learn to get comfortable with failure and constructive feedback, which as far as I know about highly sensitive people is really tough. So highly sensitive people are in this weird spot. They, in, in a lot of respects, are ideal candidates for entrepreneurship. But on the other hand, and the reasons for that, by the way, would include uh, more often than not, highly sensitive people tend to be very conscientious. So they're hardworking. They're creative as a rule because their brain is deep dive chewing into all of these really deep and complex issues. So the two of those things together will probably lead to some really neat, uh, like lead to ingenuity, lead to breakthroughs, either in the ideal realm or in the like uh, product realm. So, and also their energy has an ebb and a flow to it. Often highly sensitive people will say when they're productive, they're very productive, but when their energy is shot, it's really shot. So a lot of highly sensitive people will say, you know, I don't have any problem working 12 hours, but I, I seem to do better if it's like I can work from six to eight and then take a long break and then work from 10 to two and then take a long break and then work from three to seven and then take, you know, like being able to flex the hours they want to work over the course of the entire day. They are more productive and they will say that they, they that flexibility means a lot to them. Okay, so if that's true, that's all well and good. 
However, the that so those are great traits to have if you want to strike it out on your own and do your own thing. And even if you're not an entrepreneur, maybe you're a multi-potentialite, which if you're interested in that information, you might consider looking up Emily Wapnick. Uh, Andy Mort also speaks on this topic. I've also done another podcast on multi-potentialism, but in essence, it's you're the type of person who always likes to have two or three things going on at once. And I don't know that highly sensitive people are multi-potentialites as a rule, but it seems to be at least the case that those I speak with are more often than not multi-potentialites. They like having a lot of things going on at once as opposed to just having to do one rote thing over and over again. But I digress, that may or may not be true for you. So you can be an entrepreneur and that's one way you can satisfy the need for flexibility. You can also be more of a multi-potentialite, which also requires like a, a willingness to be nimble a few hours over in this job and a few hours over on this one. Uh, maybe I'm a professor, but I also love music and I play the violin and so on. Okay, so <laughs> those are all fabulous traits for entrepreneurship. But the other side of the coin is you do really need to be comfortable with getting negative feedback. And highly sensitive people as a rule are very uncomfortable with negative feedback. It's it's physically painful for them. So Okay, well, <laughs> what are you going to do with that information? The best way that it's been framed to me or that I've been able to kind of do a paradigm shift around this or, or a, a like shifting my focus on this has been to look at it more about making it a practice. So instead of thinking, okay, here's, I want to get really good at making widgets. Let's say widgets are this new thing. I made it all myself and I want to go out there and I want to sell it. I can spend all of that time trying to master and perfect widget making, and that's all well and good. But so every time I go out there, it's like, I've made a widget. And then someone gives me feedback and I go, crap, they didn't like it. All right, well, I go back and I revamp it. Okay, I made another widget. Is this better? Yes, it's a little bit better, but here's what can make it even better. So think about it. The goal in that situation is to perfect the widget. You can also look at failure as a kind of goal or at least a practice. Imagine, for example, you put yourself out there into the world and you make it a point to say, I wanna get really good at failing. I wanna get comfortable with failure. If that were the goal, like what a mind twist would that be? Like just, I mean, let me, let me give you an example. If you're trying to go out, like in my case, networking is something that is challenging. I've mentioned that on multiple podcasts. I got to go out there. I've got to mingle. I might be clumsy. I might make mistakes. People might look at me funny. All of those things might happen. But if I go out there and I'm thinking my goal is to find new things that I'm going to try so that I can get an opportunity to fail at something and figure out how to do it increasingly well. Because there does seem to be an art to failure. What was it? Thomas Edison was, he invented the light bulb, I believe. He evidently had, I don't even know how many uh, prototypes and attempts at making a light bulb, but he, the, the saying goes that it was over a thousand way, like a thousand failed experiments. And he thought, my God, how did you continue to persevere through all those failures? And he laughed and he said, I didn't, they weren't failures. They were successful experiments where I found a thousand different ways how not to make a light bulb. Every one of them was a success. <laughs> so what if we saw whatever the thing is that we're trying to improve on? 
what if we saw mistake making as a kind of practice? What if we saw it that way? It's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to network and I'm going to see how many different ways I might get turned down when I try and connect with a potential client or if I'm trying to, you know, bridge with another company, whatever. I'm going to see how many different ways I can present myself. And any time that it goes poorly, I can think, yes, I successfully figured out how not to get a client. (laughs) If I can turn my framework around on this, I mean, it seems like that could really be tremendously powerful. Another thing that comes to mind, you know, in thinking about this whole thing, I remember when I was in grad school, I had to take a world religions class. And the professor was, I mean, of course, dynamic and engaging and funny and just really a delight to to sit and listen to. And he was talking about the story of Genesis. And he completely reshaped or, or re... Like it was a reframe on the story. He said, you know, if if this were to have happened. And let's say that there was a reporter who was able to go behind the scenes and talk to quote unquote God and say, Hey, so how do you really feel about this? Like you make a garden, you've got these two people, you tell them not to eat the tree or at least not to eat from the tree. They eat from the tree. Like, how are you feeling about all this? He, now this is my professor speaking. He says, I think God would have said everything happened exactly as it was supposed to. And so for my professor, the story of Genesis wasn't about two human beings who failed and were cast out of Eden. For my professor, and my sense is it must be a whole sort of uh, branch of thought, the story of Genesis is about growing up. Because when you think about it, Eve gets approached by a snake. Well, the serpent has, has often been seen as a symbol for transformation. So, and the serpent says, you will now be as wise or or know as much as God. So she eats from the apple. I don't even know if it was an apple, but she eats the fruit of the tree. And now her eyes are open. Now with that comes tremendous pain. Well, that's a bit like growing up. I mean, when we're kids, we have this, we can live in this la-la land of beauty and, and safety and cotton fluff. And then maybe something happens, it might be an event, or maybe it's just on a day-by-day basis, there's this gradual shift that occurs. We realize that the world is harder than we might have thought. It's sharper. There are predators of our own species that are out to get us. And there are also people who are tremendously kind, who are out to support us. It's a wild, messy, weird world. And now we have to contend with that. We have to contend with the beauty and, and with the pain. That's a pretty extraordinary coming-of-age tale. So I'm not saying that that, was, that that is therefore the correct interpretation of Genesis. You know, full disclosure, I'm, if at, be, like, at most, I'm agnostic in the religious realm. So, But I just loved the idea of seeing the great fall of humankind as a necessary step, as a thing that was always supposed to happen. Because if that can be true of this profound, sacred, religious text, it might be true for me in my everyday life. So in a similar vein then, as we are navigating our lives, if we always try and play it safe, maybe we'll be comfortable. I mean, maybe. But that doesn't necessarily lead us to safety. 
There are plenty of people who do the quote-unquote right thing. They go to the right college. They graduate with the right GPA. They get the right job. And then are laid off for no other reason than that the economy changed. Sorry, you did everything right, but too bad the economy shifted and the thing that you're now very good at is sort of obsolete. There was no banking on that. You couldn't have known that. So maybe playing it safe wasn't the safest route for you. At least not in that particular circumstance. Maybe there's no such thing as being safe. If that's true, then instead of trying to move toward perfection, because really there is no such thing, or trying to move at least toward the realm of being small, I guess if I'm small and no one sees me, well then no one can call me out. I can be in those arenas, but this podcast isn't for people who want to live small. This is supposed to be a conversation for those who are interested in living big, or at least living on purpose, living authentically, living in alignment with who they want to be. Either they're in alignment with who they are and are always trying to grow, or they're they're trying to become another version of themselves, whatever. Like this is what that this is the kind of conversation I'm interested in having. It's with those individuals who are trying to find a way to be their best selves, whatever that means. Well, in order to do that, you've got to fail at something. You've got to be willing to take a risk. It gets back to Brene Brown and her constant quotation of uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts. It's the man who's in the arena, who's bloody and marred and dusty. And, you know, maybe he, at best, he knows great victory. But at worst, even if he fails, he fails having dared greatly. That's why so many of us are moved by that statement, because it's a kind of calling and a kind of free pass of, hey man, you're already a winner if you got in the arena. You already made it with the greats. You don't have to be victorious. You were brave enough to even get in the arena. (sighs) One problem. Well, many problems, but one big problem. Most of us have what I call, or what uh, I guess psychologists call, gremlins, constantly trying to keep us in check. So I don't know if you've seen the movie Gremlins, but it's like these cute little critters, but if you feed them after midnight, they turn into these evil critters, and, you know, they're, I don't even know how to describe them, but they become kind of chaos embodied. They just, like, they trash everything around them, they make anyone in their vicinity kind of miserable, they're dangerous. So this is the and the metaphor that is often used for the thoughts in our minds that keep us from moving forward. They're little gremlins. So, well, you know, your gremlin might be different than my gremlin, but some examples of my gremlins, and they're really effective as it turns out, but one of them is you must always work hard, always. There's never a point, like if you're relaxing, there's something greedy that you're doing. You're doing something wrong. If you're not working hard, you're wasting space. You need to be productive. You need to keep going. If you can run a 10 minute mile, you need to try for a nine minute mile. If you're running a nine minute mile, you've got to run an eight minute mile. If you're publishing a video every week, now you got to publish two videos a week. If you're writing a blog a month, you got to write five blogs a month. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, always be increasing your productivity. Always be working hard. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not working hard enough. So that's one gremlin. And I say it's a gremlin, not because there's, it's useful to be productive. 
I'm not trying to suggest that, oh, productivity is bad or working hard is bad. I call it a gremlin because even when I have achieved a thing that I set up to achieve, even when I'm successful in whatever definition you want to use for that, even when I've checked off all of the boxes from my to-do list and it's the end of the day and I just want to relax, that little gremlin is still in the background going, nope, can't relax. You've got more energy. You better spend it doing something productive. Don't just sit and stare at the ceiling. Meditate. Don't just like go for a walk in place. Go for a run. It's always there. Okay, so that's one gremlin. And the other gremlin that complements it is live small. Don't ever, no matter, hmm, what's the way to put this? Don't take credit. So even if I work hard and my hard work yields something meaningful for either myself or for someone near me, this other gremlin says, don't you dare take credit for that. Don't you dare step into that, into the light. Don't step into the, the, the center stage. That's a scary place. You don't want to go there because if you're doing that, that makes you um, narcissistic. It makes you entitled. It makes you selfish. So live small. Be meek. Be quiet. Be invisible. That's a pretty nasty gremlin. And it's hard because the positive spin on that part of me that says always be small, on some level, that's that gremlin helped feed my adaptability, my ability to look at a room and assess, okay, what does this space need and how can I support the larger community in this space so that it's a net positive. But the negative gremlin that's there says, yeah, do that, but don't take any credit. Don't step into the light. Don't let anyone know that you're here. And for God's sake, don't you dare have needs. If you have needs, you're no longer invisible. You've got to figure out a way to take care of your own needs. So it's this combination of work your butt off, girl, but also be small. You better be perfect. So perfect, no one sees you. If you make a mistake, suddenly you'll be noticed. And if you're noticed, that's bad. But if you do too well, you'll be noticed. And if you're noticed, once again, that's bad. So these gremlins, I mean, it, it's a pretty nasty feedback loop. So if I'm deciding to make a failure a practice, I'm willing to kind of go out there and try something new. In order to try something new, I've got to put myself out there, especially because for me, the new thing I'm trying is learning how to get comfortable being confident and, hi, my name is Leah, this is what I do. I have created the Healthy Sensitive and I'm aiming to help those who are highly sensitive people who are feeling like they have to choose between being honest and authentic, being leaders in their communities, being contributing members of their communities, and they can do that, but they have to sacrifice themselves to do it well, or they can be healthy and have peace of mind, but they can't go out there and be leaders. They can't go out there and live big. These are their options. I'm trying to say to these highly sensitive people, no, no, you don't have to make that choice. You can have both, but you've got to get really creative because there's no model out there yet that shows us how to do that effectively. There's models, there's like the Tony Robbins model, which is work 20 hours a day and you will be successful. And it's a great model, don't get me wrong, but that's not gonna work for highly sensitive people. 
And there's, I mean, you know, the, oh God, who else? The, the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world, like these incredible entrepreneurs. They're great at what they do, but notice they both did it in alignment with who they are. There aren't a lot of highly sensitive introverts who are doing the same thing. We're starting to see examples of it. You see it with Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet. You're starting in, she's developed the highly sensitive revolution. Okay, not sorry, no, 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 not the highly sensitive revolution, the quiet revolution. And she also includes work on highly sensitive people. Um, you're seeing it a bit with Brene Brown, who self-identifies as an introvert. You're starting to see with, like with Warren Buffett, who even claims he himself is also an introvert. You're starting to see people kind of out themselves as being introverted or preferring having quiet time alone and who are also very effective and highly successful. That's great. But that's it. Like we don't have a whole lot of models and they're not championed, not in pop culture. There's not a whole lot of celebrating around quiet, uh, well, as Andy Mort would say, gentle rebels or quiet renegades, if you will. <laughs> like, and so if I'm going to go out there and tell my, my fellow HSPs, no, we can do this. I've got to be willing to do it myself. I've got to be willing to get out there and experiment because there aren't a lot of examples out there. I've got to be the person who's the example, or at the very least, I've got to be one of them. I've got to be willing to do that. That's going to have to mean making mistakes. It's going to have to mean tripping over myself because these aren't muscles I've worked out before. It's like wanting to play soccer, but I've never played. So I've got to be willing to get out there and be terrible at it before I'm ever going to get good. That's how learning works. It, we can't just download an app for this stuff. So if I'm willing to go out there and do this, I'm going to have to get real cozy with people thinking I'm a weirdo. So here's a great example of, of a kind of failure. I put together a meetup group and it's called Curiosiverts. And I love the Curiosiverts. It's basically just intended for people who want to have deep, meaningful conversation. And I said, all who like this stuff are invited. And I included HSPs. Well, there were a few HSPs who came and it looked like they were really uncomfortable. They didn't seem to be enjoying it because those who are not HSPs were more boisterous and um, they were more likely to dominate the conversation. So now here I am, I'm clumsy at this. Like I know how to facilitate a space. I'm a good facilitator, but not in this particular arena. I'm new. And so I, I'm sure a handful of the people in that space were looking at me going, geez, this woman does have no idea what she's doing. But I did it and I'm still doing it. So I took the feedback and now I changed it around a little bit. I take the feedback, I change it around a little bit. And pretty soon here, I'm gonna be putting together an Eventbrite, like a workshop for highly sensitive people, not just online, but things I can do in person. That's terrifying to me. Not because I, I, I mind public speaking, but to be a public speaker and represent my thoughts, my ideas, my passions. Oh my God, like that's, that's killing both sides of this. Like to go out there and say, I'm gonna ask for all of you to look at me and I'm gonna create this space and I might make all of these mistakes and I'm gonna be right front and center of when I do all of the, like, oh my God, this it scares the crap out of me, but I'm doing it. And part of what's helping me is keeping in mind that this is a, I'm not just practicing developing a, a company. I'm not just practicing developing a practice. I'm practicing failing. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I, I wanna set an intention. How many different ways can I fail at this? Like make it kind of a game. I'm gamifying it. 
because I'm going to fail. That's not something like, well, if you fail, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I have to fail. That's how this stuff works because I'm just making it up as I go along. I mean, I'm not making up the research on it, but I'm just winging it. I'm just making stuff up and delivering it to the public and saying, hey, is this helpful to you? Anyway, <laughs> so I this is something I now want to encourage you to be thinking about for yourself. You know, what is something that you're really excited about, passionate about? What is something you want to share with your world? In what way do you want to be a leader in your community or at least a, an influencer or, or someone who, who helps support your community? Like, what are things that just really make you come alive? It can be anything from wanting to write a book to wanting to um, sing, go out and sing in public. It can be wanting to get more involved with your spiritual community. It can be going out there and changing your career. I don't care what it is, but think about it. Like, what is something that you just light up when you think about doing, but maybe you're a little bit afraid to do because to do it would require you to be exposed. And I mean really exposed. People might and probably will say, I don't want to say nasty things about you, but negative things about you. Some of that is going to happen. Okay. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to let that stop you? Are you going to let the critic stop you from getting in the arena? You know, Brene Brown has a great line for this. She said, you know what? <laughs> like if, if you're not in the arena, I'm not interested in your feedback. That's pretty powerful, right? Because it's like if there are a bunch of people and they're putting themselves out there and they're willing to put their reputation on the line and they're willing to try something new and they look to me and say, hey, I see what you're doing over there and I've got some feedback for you. I think you can improve on it in the following ways. I'm taking that feedback all day long, even if I don't agree with it. I'm taking the feedback. I, I'm absorbing that feedback. But if it's somebody who's not willing to do it themselves, they, they're giving me all of this like, oh, that's dumb. Oh, you shouldn't do it that way. Oh, it's, you know, that's retarded or whatever. And they themselves are cowardly. And by cowardly, I mean, they, they have an idea, they have a passion, but they're choosing not to do it because they don't want to be criticized. I'm not interested in their feedback. They're not doing the work. If they're like, if they're not doing the work, your feedback doesn't count. So it's reshaping your relationship with failure so that you can become bedfellows with it. Seeing failure as a part of success, not as antithetical to it. Seeing like this as a ladder, failure after failure after failure, but every failure leads to a better idea. I mean, this is life. This is evolution, but it's the evolution of an idea. It's the evolution of your own product. It's the evolution of you or your thoughts. Again, back to being <laughs> an evolution of an idea. And then the other piece I wanted to bring into this is the concept of curiosity, creativity, because I know I've mentioned multiple times, highly sensitive people tend to be very curious people and they tend to be very creative people. They like deep diving into things. Okay, wonderful. But to be creative, you can't also want to be perfect. Those two things don't mesh well. Perfection is in the realm of the editor. Leave that to the editor. Or if you love editing stuff, awesome. But put check that at the door when you're trying to draft something new. 
Even Jordan Peterson, who talks a great deal about writing, he says, you know, you can't write and edit at the same time. Like, that's a terrible idea. Just get your thoughts on the page and it'll probably be sheer chaos. But then once you've kind of gotten all of what it is, you're sort of vomited it up on the page. Now go back and kind of try and flesh out what's valuable in here. Like do some of the, the sifting. What can I use in this mess? <laughs> and then try and shape it and mold it into something that's easy to digest. But if you're trying to create something new and make it perfect all at the same time, nothing will ever get out because you'll always be waiting for that mythical time when perfection will grace itself upon you. Like that's not, that isn't creativity then, that's editing. So I would be delighted to hear your thoughts on this topic because um, again, failure is something that's a, whew, it hurts. It really hurts when I try something and I make a mistake. And when I get negative feedback, it's painful. And I'm not unwilling to take, you know, and I try, I don't take it personally. So it's not like I'm imagining the people who give me negative feedback are, are trying to attack me personally. But it nevertheless does hurt because an idea that I have is, is like my baby. I gave birth to this thing and now you're criticizing my baby. And you might be right to do so, but ah, that's my kid, man. Like that's... That's my idea, and it's just a fledgling of an idea. It's fragile. Be gentle with this idea. You know, that's where I'm coming from. And I, I guess what comes to my mind is practicing failure can be a kind of, you can build calluses for that. If you're practicing failure over and over and over again, just like if you're practicing playing on the monkey bars, eventually you get these calluses that make it less and less painful. And I know a lot of times when people talk like, ah, toughen up, you know, you got to toughen up. And I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the no pain, no gain philosophy. Unless, in fact, I, I think I could say pretty definitively that I don't like it. But there is value in doing things that are just a little uncomfortable and gradually building your tolerance for discomfort so that the calluses that form make you more effective, more able to move in the world and we're able to play. Those calluses on your hands that build up, now you can play on those monkey bars even longer. You know, when you go to the gym and you work out your muscles, at first it hurts like a bitch. Pardon my language, but really though, like everything hurts. And then the more fit, quote unquote, you get, the more whatever sensations you get from exercise, they tend to be more of a pleasant burn. You feel excited about the soreness the following day because it's not debilitating. That's where I want to encourage my listeners here to to start to develop a relationship around failure. That's where I want that relationship to go. Not to get to the place where, oh, I don't care. I don't care what you think. It's like, nah, I mean, that's just false. Yes, you do. But to get to a place where getting negative feedback or failing begins to feel like a pleasant burn. Like, oh, well, I did it again. <laughs> Like, okay, let's try something else. It, it starts to feel like a muscle that you're flexing. So that when you are successful, so again, when thinking about fitness, like that pleasant burn sensation is what helps lead you to where when you do run the race, you do a really great job. And yeah, good for you, you did it. But it's not like, okay, you did it, you can stop exercising now. It's awesome, now what? What do you wanna try next? 
Maybe next you want to do a triathlon. I don't mean the full-blown thing, maybe just a sprint triathlon. But now you've got to flex a whole different set of muscles. So to always be willing to move in the direction of growth. And it's like, if, if you're looking to develop growth, and this is part of the, the stronger acronym that I bring up, if you want to be a stronger HSP, you've got to have a kind of growth practice. This is one of my growth practices. Getting comfortable with failure. Practicing failure. What are some ways that you could practice failure? Think about that. Think about the things you're passionate about and what is a small thing you could do, a small way you can expose yourself and so such that it's enough exposure that you can feel like you're doing, like you're braving it, you're, you're daring greatly, but not so much that you could get just smashed down to the ground. What does that sweet spot look like? What is something small you could do that would feel like a, a pleasant stretch? Love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Um, and two, and, you know, speaking of practicing growth and all of that, if you want to practice growth but not drive yourself crazy in the process, what I'm, I'm putting together right now is a 28-day, so four weeks, um, stress lift. So it's a one-month stress lift. And every day is a different practice that's aimed at shifting our neuro pathways so that it moves toward the positive. And I have found them to be really, really helpful practices. Uh, and you know, in terms of like when I'm doing something hard, if I have these practices in my back pocket, it helps me with my recovery. When I, like if I make a mistake, if I have these practices in my back pocket, it's like, oh, okay, whew, it's okay, no problem. Um, so I'm going to be launching that in February, and I love it if, I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of pr be promoting it for the next few weeks, mostly because I, I think there's power in a bunch of people doing something at the same time, that there's no requirement that you wait until February 1st and you do it along with us. But I'm just letting you know, starting February 1st, 28-day stress, uh, stress lift, um, and every day is a new evidence-based strategy for reducing stress, improving your happiness measures, um, and increasing your resilience. Because one thing that you need when you're trying to practice failure is resilience. And one thing that you build when you practice failure is resilience. So um, keep keep your eye on um, like on the pulse there. It's going to be published in thehealthysensitive.com, so if, where you go to, uh, to courses. So I'll, I'll be promoting it for the next couple of weeks, but it won't launch until February 1st. Uh, and yeah, other than that, looking forward to chatting with you next week. Please, as always, let me know if you have questions. Uh, you're always welcome to join the membership site at any time. It's $5 a month. And basically what I do every day is just share my thought of the day. So you get a little blurbs and videos. Gives you an opportunity to connect with other HSPs. Um, and anytime that you're a member of the site, you also get access to any of the courses that I publish. Or you can just pr like purchase the courses a la carte. That's an option too. And if it's something, if you see something that is enticing to you or, you know, you, you really love the idea of being a member, but you just can't afford it. You're just like, I'm sorry, I don't have any wiggle room on this. I can't, like $5 a month isn't something I've got to spend. Or, hey, I'd love to do your course on um, becoming a stronger sensitive part one or part two or whatever, but I can't afford $15. Is there anything you can do? Uh, just send me an email. I can write you a coupon code for it. It's, you know, I, I'm primarily trying to keep a paywall between it so that those who enter into the group 
can't just willy-nilly come in and dare I use the word troll. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, so trying to create a sense of like the people who come in have some intention and have some purpose. Um, anyway, so, but don't let the price tag bar you. So you're welcome to just send me an email. Let me know you want to be a part of it and I can, I'm happy to write you a coupon code for that. All right. That takes care of my, I guess I'll call it housekeeping. <laughs> um, so reach out at any time. My email Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. And if I don't hear from you, then I'll just look forward to checking in next week. Same time, same place. Have a great week. Bye.